we got a lot of things going on here, a lot of needs. Um, we're, there's a little box over there. We're gathering up money for Ukraine, for the refugees. Uh, we got churches that will take that in there and get them exactly what they need. And, and praise God, the gospel's going out and people are getting saved. I mean, if you know the area, that whole area has been kind of dead to the, the name of Jesus Christ and all of Europe and stuff like that. So this is, this is where God takes something horrible and makes it good. And, and he uses it for his good. And so uh, people are getting saved. And so we're collecting money for that. Also, Pastor Jay from India, who spoke here many times, um, they're trying to feed the poor on Easter Sunday. He's looking to feed 40 villages in the church network, and they are desperate. They are in desperate need for Easter Sunday. Each village is approximately 100 people, and $150 can feed a whole village with the help of the local churches. So if you'd like to donate any amount, you can use the QR codes there that are in the back in the lobby. You can drop off a, a check with Sower's Easter Project uh, specifically on it. We'll make sure that that gets to them. Um, also, Rhythm of Joy, which has been a great program for the kids. Uh, it's not only for the kids in this church, but it's the kids that don't even know Jesus. And it's a chance for them to learn how to play every single instrument. They're going to learn guitar, drums, bass, piano, vocals, audio, the whole bit. And so it's uh, for ages 8 to 18. We've got a bunch of spots left, and they meet on Tuesday, 4 to 5.30 p.m. You can contact Nathan Craig or Chauncey, who's right in the back there uh, with the camera. Um, Mitch's Farm and Garden, the, that ministry we're doing of growing food, the team at Kilauea Farms uh, needs a consistent group of people. Uh, they meet on Saturdays from 10 to 12 or Tuesdays from 8 to 12. Everyone's welcome, no matter what age. And if you have any uh, questions, you can contact Mitch. Um, I wanted to take a moment to encourage you guys of what's coming up. We have elections coming up, okay? Now, I know I'm going to, don't send me an email that I'm not supposed to be political because you haven't read Leviticus and De Deuteronomy. You haven't read Ezekiel because we are to be watchmen on the wall. We're to let our people know. We need to understand that um, you can talk about politics in church, okay? Amen? And the reason is because God's going to hold us. This is the word of God. He is going to hold us accountable for the judges that we appoint. We have another opportunity, once again, to vote for Christian leaders. We have people running for governor and lieutenant governor that are Christians. They're solid. Uh, but here's the problem. Christians don't vote. We have something like 400,000 Christians in the state. We only need 250,000 to get these godly men into, into their leadership program, into the governor and the lieutenant governor's office. 250,000 Christians. That's all we need. If we can get that vote, we can get these guys in. Now, there's a couple of guys that are running. There's a few good candidates. Um, I was in Oahu this week with a bunch of pastors, and we got to spend time with uh, the governor. The, the candidate for governor is Gary Cordery, and a solid Christian man. Uh, and then also for lieutenant governor is Junior Tupai. And many of you have heard of Junior Tupai. He's been over here already uh, talking about affidavits and our rights and things like that. Both these guys love the Lord. Both these guys are solid. I got to spend time with them, pick their brains, and, and then I heard from a number of pastors, these guys are solid. These are guys we want in office because their whole goal is to serve the people instead of the people serving them. And, and, but you need to get out and vote. It's so important. And I learned some things that I didn't understand. Number one, we only need 250,000 votes from Christians in order to win this thing. So you need to sign up. You need to register. You say, well, I'm already registered. Well, here's a tricky thing in Hawaii is after so many years, they drop your registration. So you think you're registered. You go to vote and you're not registered. 
So we, hopefully we can get our crew together again where we register people out there, get you up to date, get you filled in on what's going on. We need to vote. We can also do harvest, uh, ballot harvesting we, where you go collect up your whole neighborhood's ballots and you take them down to make sure they actually get there. We, we need people in place to be ballot observers so that we know there's no monkey business going on when the ballots are being. We can do all this stuff. We need to do our part. If you don't like the way things are going in the state of Hawaii, we have an opportunity to change it and it might be our last. So it's important that we do this. And I found out something else. Check this out. Our governor for the state of Hawaii is the most powerful governor in all of our nation. Why? Because he is the only governor in our nation that is allowed to appoint who he wants head over, appoint a, nom a nominee over the head of a department, over the Department of Health, over the Department of Education, over all the departments. He can stack the heat. That's why we've had so much pr problems with the Department of Education forcing just full perverted pornography on our second and third graders. For, they call it sex education, showing them how to have sex with heterosexuals, homosexuals, how to do it, graphic illustrations. They're bringing transgenders into the nursery school and trying to teach kids how to be drag queens. Listen, you know, I take, I take a lot of heat whenever I talk about this kind of stuff. I had a guy send me a nasty letter a couple weeks ago, email, F you, F this, you're, you're, this oh, you're homophobic, you're an Islamophobic. Listen, I am not a homophobic, I am not Islamophobic, I am a sinphobic. I am a sinophobic. I, I hate sin. God loves the homosexual. He hates the sin. God loves the heterosexual. He hates the sin. God loves the Muslim. He hates what they believe in. We have to teach truth, and when you teach truth, it ruffles feathers. So if we get in guys like Gary Cordery for governor, Junior Tupai for lieutenant governor, we can stack the heat with Christians. We can totally flip this whole state. But you need to vote. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 11 today. Super powerful two verses, I'll tell you. Amazing stuff here. That's why usually we cover half a chapter or a chapter, but not today. Say amen if you're there. Okay. Um, we're going to do 10 and 11, but let's just read verse 10 because it's just, whew, it's been my favorite verse this week. That I may know him. This is Paul speaking. Talking to the Philippians, that I may know him, who? Jesus Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Father, open our eyes to reality, Lord God. It is, I am not here for my world. I'm here for your kingdom. I'm here to do your will. We're here to be about the Father's business. Lord, help us get us out of the way. Help us to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross. Help us to stop trying to be number one and to know you more. And so, Lord, we ask that you would minister to our hearts today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask all this in the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'd entitled this message to know him. Do you know Jesus Christ? 
It's kind of a stacked question. I don't mean do you know of Jesus Christ. I don't mean do you have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, do you know him personally? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's important to understand that that's what we need. This is not religion. We're not talking about religion. Everything out there, outside of Christianity, that's religion. Christianity is not religion. It's not men's attempt to right himself with God. Men can't right themselves with God. God did the unthinkable. Our God reached down and pulled us up. He died on the cross for us that we wouldn't have religion, but we'd have a relationship. And so the question is, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Last week, we talked about works. We talked about, we saw Paul and all his accomplishments, and he said at the end of all of that that he counted it all lost for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we talked about works are important in a Christian's life, but we know works don't save you, right? You're saved by faith. But true faith produces works. And so the idea is that if you really know God, there's going to be evidence in your life. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be some works. Those works don't save you, but it's, it's, it's confirming that, that you have a transformed life. When someone tells me that they're a Christian, but I don't see any fruit, that's between you and God. But I'm not a judge. He's the judge. But I am a fruit inspector, and if I'm not seeing fruit, I'm going, hmm, you can call yourself whatever you want to be. But just because you sleep in a garage doesn't make you a car. And just because you come here and sit down doesn't make you a Christian. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed unto his death? See, Paul is talking something right there, and you you might have missed it. But he's saying, listen, if you're truly saved by faith, you will long for every single day to outdo the day before for serving Jesus. Okay? Now, I know that's a, that's a tall order to fill, right? But let me ask you this. Are you doing better than you were a year ago? Okay? If there's progression, hallelujah. Paul was a dynamo. And God wants us to be like that. God wants us to not hold on to our past accomplishments for Jesus Christ, but to say, hey, you know what? All that stuff I did a year ago, 10 years ago, yesterday, last week, good stuff. But what are you doing for Jesus today? Today is what matters. You know, we were singing those songs, and I was going, oh, this is so perfect. This is so real. Because, listen, when the Lord comes, I want him to find me doing the Father's business right we always talk about the rapture how awesome it would be if it took place while we were in church right instead of you know doing some of the other stuff we do and and god wants us to have a transformed life and so paul's encouraging us listen you need to live each day like you know him and and the word there that's used is the word conosco conosco it's it's to have a knowledge, an understanding, to have a relationship. It, it, even to the Jewish, it meant to have intercourse between a man and a woman. That our relationship with the Lord should be the deepest intimacy that it can be. The word that's being used here is the same word that was used in the garden when Adam knew Eve. 
it's the word yada in the Hebrew. And yada means to know him intimately, to, to, to feel him. It's, to, it's, it's like if a blind man wants to get to know you or someone that's blind, they'll come and they'll feel your features. They go, oh, and they can tell who you are by feeling your features. He says you, you, you want to know God intimately. You want to know him on the deepest level. You want to be able to feel his presence. You want to be able to know him as much as you could know him. Is that your desire? You know, a lot of times, you know, you, you say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And they, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Do you really know him? Right? I mean, we might say, yeah, I know so-and-so from church. But do you really know him? You don't really know somebody unless you hang out with them. And the more you hang out with them, the more you get to know them. Now, here's something else I always say. If you really want to get to know somebody, ask their family about them. You're going to learn a little bit more, Right? And if you're married and you got kids, you say, ask their kids what they're like. You're going to find out what they're like. But if you say, ask their spouse, their spouse knows stuff that the kids don't know. But I'm going to go on a limb right now and just say, I think God knows a lot more about you than your spouse or your kids or your friends. Right? He knows everything about you. And what he desires more than anything is for you to know him. Not just have this knowledge. Not just have this, oh, I know, I've heard the name. Not just to have this thing like, oh, yeah, well, I read and, and I, I, I listen to sermons and I serve in the church. Yeah, but do you know him? Because those things are works. They don't save you. We're going to be talking about works a little bit today because if you, are if you truly know him, you're producing works. But those works don't save you. You're saved by faith, but true transformed life produces fruit. It produces works. And when you know somebody really knows him, you see it through their actions. You see it through their service. You see it through their forgiveness and their love and grace and mercy that they show towards others. You see it in their giving and their willingness to be used by God to where every day is, what can I do for God? See, sometimes we, we get all, all things mixed up. We, we think, what's the purpose of life? Uh, big career. No. What's the purpose of life? Get married, have kids. No. Those are good things. What's the purpose of life? To get a diploma? No. Those are good things. But the purpose in life for us is to know God. And if he's not number one in your life, I feel sorry for you. If you've made your career number one, or you, you've made your diplomas number one, or you've made your spouse number one, or your kids have become number one, boy, you're not enjoying the benefits that God has for you. He has to be number one. Stop worrying about the career. Stop worrying about the success. Stop worrying about this and that. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the diplomas will be added unto you and all the career will be added unto you and all the kids will be added unto you and the great marriage will be added unto you. You say, my marriage isn't so great. Well, maybe it's because you put your marriage before God. Well, that hurts. I'll tell you what, if you really, really know God, that marriage will work itself out. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe when He says, seek me first, my kingdom 
Everything else, it'll work itself out. But you got to trust. You got to know him. You got to yada. Do you know him? There's a lot of people out there that say they know him. And I don't believe are saved. See, you, you, okay, the news. Do we all know who Putin is? You know who he is. You know of him. But are you putting your trust in him? No. See, there's the difference. You could know someone, know who they are, know of them. But whether you put your trust in him or not is a decision that you make. So you can know who Jesus is. You can know the name. You can know of him. You can even have knowledge of him. I've listened to unbelievers tell me, hey, I read the Bible. I'm not buying it. I'm like, you read the whole Bible? Yeah. You read Leviticus? Yeah. You read all the genealogy? Yeah. How could you read that and not have your eyes opened? I can know the name of Jesus. I can know of Jesus. I could say I read the Bible. I have knowledge of what Jesus supposedly did. But until I put my trust in Jesus, until my heart chooses Jesus, I'm not born again. I'm not a child of God. See, listen, guys, this is dangerous. There's a lot of so-called Christians out there today that the only reason they're Christian is because they want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. But they don't obey God. They don't give to God. They don't serve God. They don't spend time with God. So in a sense, if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking to myself, you're not really born again. And you say, well, who are you to judge? It's not for me to judge. I'm making an observation. Listen, I want the best for you. I can tell when someone is spirit-filled. I can tell when somebody's just so in love with Jesus, they come in, they're just loving on people, they're excited, like, woo, we get to worship, we get to get into the Word, and then we go get to serve, this is awesome. And when I see that, man, you know, it's like when someone gets water baptized, and they come up out of the water, and they're so excited, and they hug somebody, what do they do? They get water all over them. When I see someone who's just filled to overflowing with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, man, I want to go over and hug them, I want to get that on me. I want some of that. I want to be an example to the Lord. I want people to see me and see that I'm alive in Christ Jesus. To know Him and the power of His resurrection. Do you know the power of His resurrection? You know, it says to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. You know, that's completely opposite of what Jesus went through. He went through the suffering and then the power of the resurrection. And God is telling you and me as children of God that you and I can experience the power of the resurrection first and the fellowship of a suffering. That kind of scares you. Being conformed even unto death. Ooh, that's even a little more scary, isn't it? Well, it's not, and we'll develop that. We'll look at that. But I'm asking you today, are you walking in the power of his resurrection? Are you walking in your own power? How many times I've tried to do stuff for Jesus in my own power. I can get a little something accomplished. It might look good, but not as good as it would have been if I would have let him do it. We've got to stop trying to handle everything in our own power. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let him do it. Are you walking in the power of the resurrection? 
See, that's what the baptism is a symbol of. We're dying to ourselves, being raised in a newness of life. Now we're born again. Now he says there, get out and spread my name, share the gospel, do all things, and don't leave home without the power. And the power is awesome because you get free refills. Every time you feel like you're powerless, you can ask the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us about that. The Gospels tell about that. You have not because you ask not. You're feeling down. You're feeling beaten. You're feeling weak. You just go, Lord, oh, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. And he's faithful. He says, you have not because you ask not. He says, listen, you know, you fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. And you're evil. In a sense, you're sinners. How much more does the Father in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Wow. Are you leaving home without the power? The power of the resurrection? Are you walking in the power of the resurrection? See, there's, there's you could say three groups on earth. You got the dead who are dead, died physically dead, and they're lying down. Then you have a group of people that are in the world, unbelievers, who are spiritually lying down. They're dead, but they're alive. But they're spiritually dead. So they're walking dead. Does that make sense? Because they don't know Jesus. And then there's you and I, who are not only alive, but we are alive with the Spirit of God. We have the power of God to know him in the power of his resurrection. We are alive with alive power for the unbelieving world to see us and go, man, I want that. We're living in a dark world. We're living in a, in a time where this world is perishing. And God says, I'm sending you out in that dark world. He says, I pray to the Father. He doesn't take you out but that he keeps you from the evil one, that he fills you with his power for you to go out. Our job is to infiltrate a dark world and bring them to the light, to share the love of God. Time is running out. Look what's happening. We are on the countdown, guys. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Is your family ready? Is your neighbors ready? Are your children ready? Are you ready? Maybe you're here today and you just kind of know God, but there's no evidence in your life of the power of God. And you've got to really ask yourself, because you know what? We've seen those cute little videos where the pastor's preaching, the rapture takes place, and everybody disappears, but there's a few people left behind, and they fall on their knees and they start screaming. That's going to happen in a lot of churches because they were playing church. They thought, they thought if I just come to church every Sunday, I'm giving back. And God says, no, I, I don't even know you. What does he say to those who say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. Lord, Lord, I went to Calvary Chapel. Lord, Lord, I did missions. Lord, Lord, I casted out demons. He goes, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Is that describing you? I hope not. Because he says true faith, true trusting in Jesus Christ makes a transformed life that actually wants to do something for Jesus. Works do not save us, but works are a reflection of our love for the one who saved us. i got to read you a quote from um, J. Vernon McGee. Now, by no means 
is he saying you're saved by works? Let's just get that straight. You're saved by faith, faith alone, right? Amen? He goes as far to say this. Faith without works is dead. Sounds like James, right? But then he says this. Faith without works means you're not saved. He said, if your church doesn't depend on you every Sunday, you're not saved. He's in no means saying that you're saved by your works. He is in no way saying that works save you. You are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saved you will cause you to want more, to do more, to have a passion for the one who possesses you. Amen? You know, if you're a child of God, you're possessed. But you're possessed with the Holy Spirit. And you know what's cool about that as a child of God being possessed with the Holy Spirit? You can't be possessed by a demon. Isn't that cool? God's not into timeshare. He ain't sharing anything with, with demons. And, but listen, if you don't know Jesus, you can be possessed by demons. How? Oh, playing around with witchcraft. Ouija boards, horoscopes, tarot cards, crystal balls, uh, doing drugs, opening up a gateway, a window for demons to come in and possess you. That's gnarly. It's a real thing. We're not saved by works. Don't get me wrong. Don't try to misquote me. I, I listened to someone tell me the other day that some, some folks left the church because the pastor started preaching saved by works. Broke my heart. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, but that faith produces works. James said it, right? James says, you say you have faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. A true transformed life wants to live for Jesus. It's, think of your first love. Your first love. Remember your first love. You just wanted to be with them. You just wanted to hear their voice. You were on the phone. You were over at their house. Anywhere they wanted to go, you wanted to go. Whatever they wanted to do, you wanted to do. You should be like that with Jesus. Jesus, I just need to hear your voice. I'm desperate for you. Jesus, I just need to get off. I don't have to read my Bible. I need to. I don't have to get alone with Jesus. I need to be alone with Jesus. I need to turn everything off, get by myself, open the Bible, and ask Jesus to join me. And watch what God will do in your life. He'll transform it. You will come out of there so pumped because He's going to speak to you through His Word and through prayer. I don't know if you've ever found, you ever asked for something. You ever ask God questions and you open your Bible, you came to that verse, you're like, hallelujah. <laughs> right? Everybody's nodding their heads. You've done that. Or you're like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, boom, like a lightning bolt, bang, into my head. Oh, that's the answer. Oh, that scripture? Oh, you're so right. Because he's transformed your life. But if you're not willing to get alone with him and spend time with him, listen, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not being able to serve him in the maximum capacity that he has for you. You're trying to do it in your own power. You just want enough Jesus to get to heaven, but you know, Jesus, don't bother me with everything else. I've got my life to live. Well, you could be fooling yourself that you're a Christian. Psalm 42 says this. Check this out. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What is the psalmist saying right there? The psalmist is saying, as the deer pants for water because without it he dies, 
so too my soul without God will die. The psalmist. David always wanted to know Jesus more. You know, don't raise your hand. How many of you were drug addicts? Remember how you needed a fix? Sad, huh? Everything would just be a nightmare, and then you got that fix, you're like, oh, for a little bit? That's sad. Drug addicts need a fix. You know what I need? I need a Jesus fix. The greatest high that you will ever experience is sharing the gospel with somebody and watching them get saved. I'll tell you what, there is nothing, there is no drug out there better than that. Sharing the gospel, watching some hardcore, heavy individual just break down and start bawling and ask Jesus into their life and ask for forgiveness of sins. Oh my gosh, that is the greatest high. Woo! Do you know him? Listen, all the reading of the Bible, all the sermons, all the missions trips won't be as effective unless you truly know him intimately. Do you make it a point to get alone with Jesus? So how do we get to know him more? Spend time with him. It's it's, it's simple. Get alone, open the word of God. Start praying, start talking to him. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life that they may know you. He's talking Jesus' prayer. He's talking to the Father. He says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus' prayer is that you would know him and that you would know the Father. Do you know him? This, is, this goes beyond your accomplishments. This is, has nothing to do with your accomplishments. What are you doing today for Jesus? Do you know him intimately? Do you know him yada? You know, we saw Paul last week as we were looking last week, and, and Paul, he, he was telling people, it's not works. It's not by your righteousness. It's by Jesus' righteousness. And he was telling these guys, it's not about circumcision. It's not about this. It's not about that. And then he said, listen, you guys, you know, you're so caught up in works, like works make you more righteous. Listen, you and I are no more righteous today than the day we got saved. All of our works are awesome. We should be doing good works. Works don't save you. And your works won't make you more righteous with God. You are just as righteous today as you were the day you got saved. God does not love you more today than the day you got saved. He loves you so much. He loves you just as much today as the day you got saved. You are just as righteous today as the day you got saved. Okay, so then why do we do good works? Because he's worth it. It's because our way of saying, I love the one who's done so much for me. And Paul was arguing with these Judaizers who had come into Philippi, and he says, okay, listen, you want to go toe-to-toe on works? If, you want, if it's all about self-righteousness and it's about works, let's have a little works off right now, and I'll put you in the weeds. You think you got works? I got works more so. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel. I came from the line of Jacob. I, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. No other tribe did more for all the tribes than Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I'm blameless. He goes, boom, you can't even match that. But then look what he says. He says, but what things were gained to me, 
These I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge, the kenosko, the yada, to know of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count all things but rubbish. He's saying my works are like like rubbish compared to what he's done to me, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Salvation is by faith and not by works, but true faith produces good works. You can't get around it. Works are the evidence of a transformed life. They don't save you. But it proves to the world that you have this tremendous love for the one who possesses you. Paul was so motivated by what the Lord had done for him that he was doing more than he ever did in his life. Think about that. When James says, you say you have faith, Without works, I will show you my faith with my works. Paul took that to heart. Listen, this is Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, when it comes to works and self-righteousness, this guy was tops. Nobody could match him. He was the the up-and-coming rising star in Jerusalem. He says, you want to go toe-to-toe for works? I'll put you in the weeds. And he said, but you know what? When it came to my salvation and me getting saved in righteousness, that's all but dung. It's all dog do. It's all worthless. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to yada. I want to I know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to know you so closely. Paul's life was chan- transformed because, listen, Paul, under the law, had so much zeal Nobody could find any dirt on him. He was walking the walk. He had so much zeal, so much so that he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, to shut down the church, to kill Christians, to imprison them under the law. But under faith, but under the grace of God, now he would go to the ends of the world to preach the gospel. You see how his whole... Everything just got ramped up when he came to Jesus. And Paul lived every dying moment for Jesus Christ. He didn't want to hang on to what he did for Jesus yesterday. He wanted to know, what can I do today? We were created for God's good pleasure. That's what the Bible says. We wake up every morning and just say, hey, Lord, reporting for duty. I'm here. Let's do this. What do you want me to do? I got, I got a bunch of plans. I got some ideas. Let me run them by you. But hey, feel free to mess up my plans. Is that how you pray? To know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him more. In John 20, when Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, remember the disciples were locked up in that room, and they're all freaking out because they thought they were next to die. They thought the soldiers were coming after them, and Jesus comes right through the walls, right? Whew, hey, guys. And they all freak out because they thought they saw a ghost. And, and he goes, hey, peace. But then it says he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
They were saved. They were born again right there. This wasn't the power of the Holy Spirit. That would come at the birth of the church at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This was receiving. This was being born again and saved. He breathed on them. The idea is that He took hold of them. He made them His own. He took them. He possessed them. And He sealed them. And then at Pentecost, He gave them the power of the Father to go out and do all things in His name. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait till you receive this power. Wait. He says, I don't want you going out there doing anything in my name, passing out Bibles and tracts. I don't want you going out trying to cast out demons until you have the power. Because you're going to go out there and you're going to face the world, the flesh, and Satan, and you're no match for him, but he's no match for me. Moving in the power. I want to know him. I don't want just a knowledge of him. I want to know him personally that I might live a resurrected life. To know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. We don't like that. I want to know Him. I want to know the power. But the fellowship of His suffering, ooh. But may I say this to you? Please listen to me, church. When you suffer for the name of Jesus, you will never be closer to Jesus than any other time. Because you know why? He makes himself so big in your life when you're going through suffering for his sake. That we grow the most through our trials and through our suffering. And he meets us right where we're at. Remember when, remember when Paul got beat up in Jerusalem? God appeared unto him. Remember when he was ready to dig out in Corinth? God says, Paul, hang out. I got much people here. He's like, what? God will meet you right where you're at through your suffering. Because don't we grow in suffering? Doesn't your prayer life kick up a notch when you're going through stuff? Oh, God! Oh, God! It's all different, isn't it? Because when it's going good, it's like, hey, praise the Lord, I love you, Jesus. But you're doing your own thing until He gets your attention. But see, here's the thing, is that, listen, when you... Check this out. This is heavy. When you suffer for the name of Jesus, salvation comes to the world. Suffering for Jesus brings salvation to a lost and dying world. And there's a fellowship with Christ through suffering, a fellowship like you cannot believe that takes place when you suffer. And when he says to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being, being conformed even unto his death, what is that saying? He's saying, Paul is saying, listen, I, I have the power. I'm walking alive in the midst of dead walking people. I'm, I'm alive in the midst of a dark world. I have the power, God's power, the power of his resurrection. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing the fellowship of his suffering that every time I go out there and do things in his name, I will come under attack. But each and every day I want to do more and more for him that each day I'm doing more than I was for yesterday all the way up into my death, being conformed unto his death. Does that make sense? And then verse 11, he says this. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
That almost sounds like he's doubting. He's not doubting. He's not doubting at all. He's saying something here that is very interesting because we see the word resurrection in verse 10. We see the word resurrection in verse 11. They are two different words. Resurrection in verse 11 only appears once in the New Testament. The resurrection word in verse 10 is the word in the Greek anastasis. In verse 11, resurrection is ex-anastasis. Anastasis. Have you been raised in a newness of life? Are you doing things in the power of the Lord Jesus or are you doing them in your power? Are you in the power of the resurrection? Are you alive to Christ Jesus? The one in verse 11 when he says, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead, the word there is a word that speaks of outstanding, to stand out from amongst the dead. It's the idea of the Lord bringing you unto Himself. What Paul is talking about right here is he says that if I may obtain the rapture. He's saying, he's saying, man, I, I, you know, he says, I so want to participate in the rapture. He lived every day like Jesus was coming. When you live every day like Jesus is coming, your life will change. Even if you got a hot tip, I came to you and I said, hey, Holy Spirit came to me. It's going to be next week, Friday. What would you do? You go run up your credit cards, take everybody out. No, I'm just kidding. What would you do? Your whole life would change. And Paul says you should live each and every day like he's coming today. Paul saying, listen, listen. He's saying exastasius. He's, ex, he's, he's saying, I so want to partake in the rapture. He's saying, listen, listen. God, it's God's will. If I die physically in this body while I'm on this earth and I'm put in the ground, that's fine. I, I get that. God can do with whatever he wants to do. But my real desire, <laughs> is to take part in the rapture. Aren't we like that too? I don't mind dying because I know dying is instant Jesus. I just matter, it just matters to me how I die. Right? I don't want to be eaten by a shark, mauled by a bear, you know, run over by a truck, slow death. I don't want any of that. It would be so great just in, uh, faster than a blink, a twinkling in the eye to be in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? See, Paul understood that absent from the body, present with the Lord. If he died right there, he would go to be with the Lord. His body would stay in the ground, but he knew that one day the sound of a trump, the voice of an archangel, the trump of God would be blown, and the dead in Christ, those dead bodies that were buried over the years, those Christians, since Jesus rose from the dead, would be brought up out of the grave and brought together with the person that's already in heaven. He said the dead in Christ will rise first, and that we are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds, the living how, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Can, do you want to be raptured? I do. I mean, think about that. That's going to rock this world. We all, like everybody that's died, that's gone to be with the Lord, all the graves on Kauai, all the ones that were believers, they all come up out of the grave. How about all those bodies that come up out of Honolulu Bay that we poured ashes out there? The guys are out there surfing. All of a sudden, they see these bodies coming up out of, out of the water, and they see some of the surfers disappear, and then they're looking around. I'm still here. What a statement. Paul says, hey, listen, if that's the way I'm going to die, die physically here, go to be with the Lord, and then he resurrects my body one day, that's fine. But boy, I'd love to attain the rapture. Why? 
Because he knew him. Because he adored him. He knew him personally. Let me close with this. I want to tell you a true story. I've told it before. You probably remember it. Maybe you don't, but it's appropriate for this. True story. There was a pastor in China preaching the gospel. Church was flourishing. The Communist Party arrested him. Told him to stop preaching Jesus. He said, I can't. They said, we're going to put you in prison. He said, I can't stop preaching Jesus. He's done so much for me. Now, it'd be really easy for you and me to go, oh, sure, yeah, I won't do that. Lord, I didn't mean it, you know. No, he stood up. He said, no, I'm not. And so they got to a place where they just said, okay, how about this? You make sure you put the Communist Party first and Jesus second, and we'll let you go. He said, I can't do that. It's Jesus first. They threw him into prison, took away his church, took away his Bible. But they can't take away his relationship. And he was in prison for years, years. And then finally they looked at him. They said, man, he's so old. He's no threat. Let's let him go. And they let him go. And he went back to his family and there was a great celebration. And he started preaching And thousands of people were coming to hear him preach, to hear his testimony, to hear what he experienced. He didn't have his Bible for years, but he knew God. They couldn't take his relationship away. And he started preaching, and people were coming from all over the world to hear this guy preach. And a friend of mine who was a pastor went over to China to hear this guy preach, and he said there was thousands. And he said he's listening to this guy, and he said the guy messed up a verse. And he said, whoa, he just misquoted that verse. I know that verse. That was my friend. He said, I know that verse. He misquoted a verse. But then he thought, you know what? We all do that. We all blow it. We all kind of paraphrase. Okay, yeah, that happens. Happened to me. It's happened to everybody. So then he said he's listening some more, and the guy misquotes another verse. And then he misquotes another verse. And then he misquotes another verse. He's like, Lord, I know those verses. I know more of the Bible than he does. He's got this huge church. What's going on? My church is not even close to this. And I know more than he does. And he said he felt the Lord speak right to his heart and said, you're right. You do know more Bible than he does, but he knows me better than you. I hope that's an encouragement to you that say, well, I can't share the gospel. I don't really know what you know. You don't have to. God says when you get put before rulers and those that will come against you in an uh, opportunity, he says, don't rehearse what you're going to say. Just let me take over. Just open your mouth and watch the Holy Spirit just speak through you and then you'll walk away going, wow, did that just happen? (laughs) To know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed even unto His death. That's what it's all about.